Hey everybody, welcome to the Fired Up with CJ Show. We have a New York Times bestseller, Thomas Moore, who has written the classic Care of the Soul. And today we're going to be talking about his new book, A Religion of One's Own. This is my Kindle version, a guide to creating a personal spirituality in a secular world. So welcome, Thomas. Well, thank you. Very happy to be with you. I'm happy to be here with you, too. It seems like we've gotten um, divine blessing through a thunderbolt that came right through <laughs> the beginning of the radio show and took down your computer. What does it mean? What do you think it means? I think it's just approval for us to keep doing what we're doing here. <laughs> it's striking approval, lightning, lightning firing us up to continue doing our work. Okay, so I was really curious about your book. As I was telling you um, before we talked, I was originally re- going to talk to you about the care of the soul, and my intuitive sense was that I needed to talk to you about a religion of one's own, your current book, particularly because that's a path that I've, I've chosen in my life. Um, I, I wasn't raised with any particular religion um, with my family, and so I've had to kind of construct one on my own, which in some ways is a, a blessing, I think. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about, um, you know, what are the benefits of having, you know, you've gone through, you spent 13 years um, being a monk. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you saw as the blessings and the benefits of going through a traditional path where you go deep. Well, there are great benefits to that. You, for one thing, you 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 get the you get the teachings and the stories and the flavor of a religion into your bones, into your body. Mm-hmm. Like people ask me if I'm still a Catholic, and it's a funny question to me because there's no way I can't be. You yes. just you're born into it and you're raised into it. I may not have affiliation with the church, official church that I don't that I used to have, but it's in me. And so I think that having the experience helps in that way. It also helps in that you learn, as you were saying, you learn more deeply about a religion. You know, you get into it. You um, you you uh, you know about uh, uh, the the stories, the uh, the theology, the rituals, if there are some, the personalities, the history, and so you think of religion as something that is really significant and important. And not just yourself. That's really very valuable. Mm-hmm. So, is there, you know, so when one creates a religion on their own, it seems that is there a way to actually take some of the benefits that you got through practice, the depth, the um, structure, the rituals, and then add that in creating their own religion, or is it never really quite the same? Because you really have to put in the time. No, no, I don't. I don't think that it's any different, really. Well, I don't think it's. I don't think you lose anything essentially because uh, I know from my experience, uh, I have studied and been exposed to various religions like uh, Zen Buddhism and Greek polytheism. Those are two that I know, you know, the best, I guess, and uh, they have both had a great influence on me and on my life and how I see things. Yeah. Uh, so, but I have studied them. You know, I have put time into them. And I have, I have, uh, I've been around people and visited places, you know, that sort of thing. So, I've really made an effort. But they have affected me, uh, I would say, as much as my Catholicism has, yeah. maybe even more in some ways. Well, my impression of you when I've read your book, it seems like you go th- into things pretty deeply. 
You're not a dilettante. You won't just read <laughs> one book on Buddhism. You'll read like, you know, the sutras. I mean, you'll go into it very deeply. Um, is that true? Yes, that's true. Okay. Yeah, I really go into it because, uh, because I'm interested that way. I like to study. I like to, I like to uh, go deeply into something instead of just superficially. Yeah. And so, and, and I guess that's the question. If one doesn't go deeply, I read one book on Buddhism. And yeah. is that, am I done? Or should I read, you know, all the books on Buddhism, actually read the original text myself so that I can actually get the flavor and experience of going deeply? Well, you could do it in a lot of different ways. It's not just about reading. You could, uh, you could attend lectures or go to a teacher that is teaching. Um, I, a lot of people, like uh, around where I live, my, my wife and daughter are Sikhs, mm-hmm. and uh, they do uh, practice a Sikh form of yoga. And so they have a lot of people coming to them who are not Sikhs, but who study yoga with them. And it's not just a physical yoga, it's a spiritual yoga. So they learn about that religion firsthand. They actually go and get, get to know the music and the personalities and hear the language and all of that. So it becomes a culture, yeah. not, not just ideas. Yeah, and I, you know, I was talking to a dear friend of mine who um, studied under Osho. And I said, how did you know when it was enough? Like, how did you know when you were done? And she said, well, it took 20 years, but, I, you know, I, I actually studied with Osho on the ranch. And then after I studied with Osho on the ranch, he passed. And I continued on my own studying his um, teachings. And then 20 years later, I thought, uh, it, there's no more any, there's no more juice in this. But she did go into that depth to experience that. Do you think you need to go into that level of depth to really fully understand and 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 get the benefits of a structured religion. You have to go some. You have to go to some level. Yeah, you have to have some depth to it. I, I really to get it. Yeah. Uh, but when I'm talking these days about a religion of one's own, I recommend to people that if they have only had their own religious tradition behind them, and then they want to branch out and and expand and deepen somewhere in some other way. I recommend that they get something like the Tao Te Ching from China. It's only, you know, it's maybe 50 pages of a book. <laughs> <laughs> now you can say, is this all I have to do is read this book? Yes, really. You can, if you really read that book, now I'd suggest reading it maybe 25 times. Wow, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, but, but, but really, or read it meditatively and really get to know it and, and think about it and, and live uh, uh, live by under its influence to some extent. I mean, incorporate it. I'm not saying become a Taoist, but incorporate it into your way of looking at the world and some of your practice in ways that appeal to you. I mean, don't do it because someone tells you you should. Right. That, that's my whole point. Is it's the day is over when we do when we do religion because someone tells us we should do it. Right. The time now is to follow your desire and your interest and your passion. And make it your own. Okay, why why the Tao Te Ching? I'm curious. In fact, the funny the funny thing is is I've been thinking that I want to read the Tao Te Ching because I'm Chinese. We just went to China, and I thought I really want to explore the religion of my people, which is Taoism, yes. Confucianism, Buddhism. Yes. But why the Tao Te Ching? Why did you recommend that well, one? I recommend it for two reasons. One is that it's uh, short. Three <laughs> reasons. It's short. Well, really, if I suggested reading the Vedas of India, yeah. you know, it could take your whole life. Right. Um, no, I don't, I don't want to suggest that, or even the Bible is huge. Right. 
Um, but it's very short for one thing, and it is it it is deceptively simple. So you can read it, and you don't feel like you're reading a lot of terms that you don't know. The language is simple, right. the images are natural from nature, and uh, the but the ideas are very very profound. And if you really live by it, your whole life would change. Hmm. And I think what it that particularly this is another reason. I guess I'm at number six now. <laughs> the the uh, the other reason I might uh, suggest it is that the Tao Te Ching, the ideas of the Tao Te Ching and the way of life form a very good foundation for your own religiousness because they have to do, it has to do with, with yielding, with, with not having to be in full control, with acknowledging some mystery. Emptiness is one of the themes in it. It's, they talk about the importance of a room having emptiness for a window or a door. If you didn't have a door in a room, that would be, really be a problem. Right. But, but that emptiness of the door makes the room work, and it's the windows as well. So if we understood that in our own lives, that a certain element of openness and emptiness, I think it's essential. Like people who speak of God, I would say, if you can define God after having read the Tao Te Ching, you have a better sense because God then is a way of being open. You don't close that concept off. You right. see it as an opening in your life. And yeah. that's really transcendence. And that's what religion is about. Yeah. And so I, when I think of the Tao Te Ching, it's, 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 when you describe it, it seems like what you're doing is two things. One is that you're kind of planting the seeds for openness, right? If you can actually follow the Tao and open and be empty, you're kind of setting yourself up for any good religion, right? To be open. That's, and, that's exactly. Yeah. So that's why I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing is like that. Start off with that one because you're planting the seeds for good things to grow out of that particular soil. That's right. Is that right? I'm hearing that. That's, that's exactly right. And then when when you said. Go to the, read the Tao Te Ching. You know, it's short, it's practical, but then also read it and meditate on it. I guess what I'm hearing that that's the deep part because what you're doing is you're taking that stuff and you're absorbing and saturating at a deep internal level what these words mean to you. That's what I thought. That's what I was interpreting. Is that what you meant when you said that? Yes, it is. Okay, got it. So that's probably a good way to start because it's so open. It's so. I think so open to so many different ideas, um, at not having read it, but actually you've read many interpretations of it. Uh -huh. <laughs> it seems that that's one of them. But is there a particular interpretation of the Tao Te Ching that you would suggest? Well, you mean like a translation? Yeah, because there's so many translations. Uh, well, I use one by Jane English. Mm -hmm. I forget her co-worker's name. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I like that very much because I, it feels right to me. The, the imagery sound feels good to me. And... It's easy to follow, easy to read. The English is excellent. Yeah. Another one I like is by David Hinton, mm -hmm. who is a poet, and he knows Chinese culture very well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's good, and it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's very poetic, but uh, it's not so easy. It's not as easy as the other one. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good first step. So, so going back to the criticism, I think, that you mentioned in the book about when you create your own religion that you never really go deep, the question is, what does it mean to go deep? You know, when people say you don't go deep, what is it not going deep into your internal stuff? Is it not having a deep academic understanding? What's your sense of having gone deep? What that means? Well, when I'm write, when I write this book, a religion of one's own, what I'm trying to do is is not say, okay, just make up your own religion, like put like tinker toys or something. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm, what I, so what I'm emphasizing is I think it's time now to stop thinking of religion as being, being made up of huge groups of people and large institutions and hierarchies and officials and laws and rules, all of that, and go back to the notion that religion really is a way of being in the world. So it is about going deep personally. And uh, you can have a huge understanding of the academics of, of religion and yet still not have that experience of it. Right. So I, I want, I'm emphasizing the experience, religion as an experience and a way of being in the world, a way of finding meaning as opposed to any kind of organization or group of, uh, of beliefs or anything like that. Yeah. You know, my husband and I were, were talking about your book because I was so inspired after reading it. And I thought, you know, religion is really great because of the things that you mentioned. It has a structure. It has a church, a place that you can create like a, a kind of routine in your life to go and practice whatever it is. It has a set of rules and laws to live by, which are nice, right? Because I don't have to think too much about it. I don't have to read so much. I'm going to distill down what I should and should not do. Um, so it seems like if you were creating your own religion, that you'd have to have some of those things too, don't you think? I mean, and your book talks a little bit about having physical structures uh, that support you, daily yes, structures. Yes, yes, I do. I do recommend things like that. But but to go back to what you were saying, the trouble with with having someone tell you what to do or having all of these preset practices and words and language and everything. The trouble is, is that that can be quite shallow. You can be passive about it rather than active. Yeah. And how many people you know, can just go to church and really not, they're just sort of in some hypnotic state. They don't know what's going on. Then they leave and they feel good because they've been there physically. <laughs> Check, I've done it. I've been spiritual <laughs> right. today, done. Right. Yeah, so, it's, so I'm trying know. to counter that because we need we need in our society we need a deep we need deep ethics that really come yeah. from the heart and we need a, a love of people and a love of our planet and a love of beings here we need that love of where we are otherwise we our ethics is is either non-existent or superficial. But do you think so, everyone can do that? Because that was my pus my husband's response. He said, well, some people just need that. He said, some, some people need to have that structure and a set of beliefs because they can't, they couldn't construct one on their own if they had to. Do you think that's true? Well, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell my husband. <laughs> but, see, but see, I would not talk about constructing anything. You yeah. know, I'm not talking about constructing a religion. That's old, old-time religion to okay. make something out there. I'm talking about being some way, being some way, so that you are uh, contemplative in style, more contemplative. You think things through more deeply. Your ethics is real. It's your own. It's something you cultivate for yourself and not just following some list of do's and don'ts, but really, really have a sense of how you want to behave in this world and be. Yeah. So there's a lot to be done, and I'm saying with the one piece that's similar, though, to what you're getting at is that I do recommend that, that one of the sources, one of many sources, are the world's religious traditions. They have so much. You could, you could spend your whole lifetime at that, delving into those traditions, and never, never even scratch the surface of them. But you can get a great deal from them, and they can help you as you develop yourself into a religious person. Yeah. Which is what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, I guess the hard thing is because I'm, I'm, um, 
I'm um, Thomas More, light, light, like the lightest version of you. <laughs> That's how I've explored my life, minus uh-huh. the monk. I mean, I've never gone into yeah. any particular religion, you know, for 13 years, let alone 13 weeks. I mean, I'm reading every week as part of my radio show. I'm reading a different book now. How the books come to me are through publishers send it to me. Sometimes I look at something and, you know, I'm booking stuff out in advance. And oddly, it's created my own personal religion because these books end up always being completely relevant at that time of my life. I have no idea what the mystery is of the universe that helps construct it, but it does. And so I read these books. They're relevant. I read them. And when I read them, I really read them. I'm going in and experiencing and practicing some of the stuff over the month that I'm reading it. Um, But then after a month, it's gone. And then I thought, you know, maybe I'm just a dilettante. You know, am I ever going to really get at the depth that you're talking about? Do you think that there's a risk of that? And, And I know it's hard to quantify, like, how long should someone study the Buddhist text? How long should someone go through the practices of being a Sikh? Right. Well, no, you just do it when you want. I, like for me, Taoism, I go in and out all the time. I, when I when I suddenly remember I haven't read the Tao Te Ching for a while, I get it out yeah. and read it. So it's not a matter of, you know, again, it's not a matter of a burden. It's not a burden or anything you have to do or should do. Yeah. That's, that's old time religion, old idea. I know, it's that fascinating because I, I still have that. Yeah, so study. that's what I'm trying to, I'm really trying to turn that upside down or inside out so that we, we can have more joy in our, and really want to do, what we, I want to get to the point where we are eager to find out what Buddha, the Buddha taught, eager, yeah. like yeah. we really have to, we have to drop everything and say, what did the Buddha say, <laughs> yeah. what is that Tao Te Ching about, or what about the great Sufi poets, what were they yeah. doing, Yeah. all of that, and what about Jesus, what did he really, what was he really about, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. So there's so much that we could do, and it's exciting, and it's pleasurable, and it makes your life more meaningful. So I think it's a great thing to do. But I do think it requires some attention, and I think some study, although that's my way. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. the scholar type, and I, yeah. I like to study things. But the religions have that, too. Most religions have a very strong study element. So they have these texts, and they have people studying them. They have monasteries, you know, the monks studied. and. Right. Tibetan monasteries, the monks study and teach. And right. So it's all over the world that people are doing it this way. I think that we can look at the religions for hints at how we might shape our own lives to be more religious, less secular. Hmm. Okay, give me an example of how. Well, we got, well, the thing you just said, to do your job in a way that's thoughtful. You can actually work at it that way. So you, you say that your radio shows and the books you read for them uh, speak to you and they speak to you in a timely way, in a mysterious way. Right. You talked about it mysteriously. That, that's a clue that that's part of religion, the, the mystery of our experience. These mysteries that happen, that are around us all the time. So I would say that you're doing, that's part of your religion, your radio show. Yeah. And, I, and it's funny because I, I do feel like this is part of my religion. And it's, it feels like, I said, like a light version, like a, maybe a less deep version, less academic. It doesn't, you know, just, I think you maybe, you maybe have some fantasy that I'm doing something. <laughs> I am, I am going into this material pretty deeply. I have a PhD in religious studies, you know right. what I mean? I, I really worked at it. I right. really spent a lot of time at it. That was my, that's my focus. It's my job. Right. And I should know those things, but I don't think everybody has to go get a PhD in religion. Right. Well, I mean, most people who have, I have to do carpool. 
You know, seriously, <laughs> I a new carpool. I just finished my taxes. I got a life aside from reading all that's, these books. I feel like reading a, once one book a week is actually pretty good. But I think I'm actually typical of most people who are trying to create a religion. I think so. Is, I think so. Is that the, there's so many books out there right now as a way, yeah. you know, a way to make you happy, a way to reprogram I, your brain. You know, Taoism is the way. You know, so it's. I think we're 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 bombarded with all these different kinds of ways and so it's yeah. easy to become a dilettante That's um, right. in in both good and bad ways right 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 yeah uh, so i guess uh, here's what i'm hearing um the, the criticism that um you mentioned in your book is it, you know if you create your own religion it's like you know the ca- going to a cafeteria and choosing from a bunch of different things and randomly patching together some <laughs> some things to make a meal um so, I mean, what's your, what's your response to that idea? Well, first of all, if someone says that, well, what you're saying is like a cafeteria. They're not, very, uh, they're not really getting the point, or they're not very open to what I'm saying, because they're trying to use an image that's going to put it all down and right. have it fall apart. So there's not a very good conversation to begin with. Okay. On the other hand, what I always say, I say I like eating in cafeterias. I really do. I like to have the choice of all that food that's out there. Yeah. You know, I can't do that in my house. I open the refrigerator. I don't have all those different foods that I can choose from. I think it's great to go to a cafeteria. Now, it's not the same as sitting down to a dinner where you have really carefully put together really wonderful food. It may be, it may be not quite as fancy or as nutritious in some ways. But still, it's, it, can be, it can be a good thing to do. It may be something that's, that gives you, it's the right thing. Cafeterians yeah. have their place. Yeah. On the other hand, I think that it's true that we don't want to be too superficial about this. That's why when we do draw on another religion, we want to be careful that we're not just taking some popular idea off the top, skimming it off the top. We have to find good teachers or good sources or, you know, today I think it's... Yeah, that's fair. You, you can actually learn quite a bit, like let's say on YouTube, you can right. see what a ritual looks like. Right. You can hear someone. You can hear someone talk to you about what the Tao Te Ching is about. Right. Right. I mean that that can be quite pleasurable, and it, it gives you a little more depth in what you're doing. Right. Right. And I and I see that happening because you know a lot of people talk about that's not my karma. Like and they're throwing around these religious terms. I'm like, I don't even think you know what karma means because if you did, you wouldn't even describe <laughs> it in that way. So I think it's, I think that that's the danger of this kind of buffet kind of. I think of it yeah. as like a buffet because I actually like buffets. People don't have a negative thing about buffets, I think. But yeah, oh, I, like kind of very much, yeah. I like buffets. Um, okay, so so. So how to go about doing this? I mean, so start off reading the Tao Te Ching because it kind of puts a nice fertile ground for being open to lots of ideas. What are some other ideas if you're okay. trying to construct a religion? You're, you're fine, you, like, like yourself when at the end of 13 years, the juice has kind of run out of your religion. You want to start looking at other stuff. What else should you do? Well, I think that uh, one thing you can do is uh, have some... Uh, have some quiet, contemplative time in your life. Like uh, nature is a very good source of a spiritual life. So you can make the natural world part of your religion, and it may not have been before. Either whether whether you're just a purely pure secularist or if you're a member of some established religion, nature probably didn't have much of a, a central place. So uh, you can actually... You know, think of it that way, that when you do go off into the natural world, whether it's to the ocean, edge of the ocean, or to a mountain or a forest or something, 
a river. I think a river is a wonderful, sacred place. If you think about it that way, really think about the river and watch it closely and kind of really get into it. So that kind of meditating, I like meditation myself. I call it more of a soul meditation as a, instead of a spirit meditation. The soul meditation would be with something. So, you know, go to a river or look at, go into a garden or a park or something. You can be in the city, just go to a park and, and look at some running water somewhere. And just take it in and, and stop trying to think so much. Stop thinking and just take it in. That can be a form of meditation. That can be part of your practice. Or and part you of your say, religion, right? Yeah. So you can say, well, in my religion, this particular river is a sacred place. Mm. And it may not be in any, to anybody else, but to you it is. So you go there. Mm. And you go there. Uh, ritual usually has regularity and repetition in it. It's usually not one thing. Sometimes it can be, but usually it's not just a one-off experience. Right. So, so you might want to reg say, okay, I think maybe once a week I'll go to this uh, riverside or go to the ocean and just sit there for a while. Not formally. You don't, you know, cross your fingers or <laughs> say any prayers or any. Oh, any many things. It's just go there. Just go there. This is why I use people like uh, Henry David Thoreau as my model in my models in this new book because he was somebody who didn't like formal religion, but he was a very very religious man. Yeah. But he didn't. But he didn't like formal religion, so he built a cabin, which is like building a cathedral. Yeah. Next to a pond, and he yeah. lived for two years. That was quite an interesting spiritual practice for him. Yeah. But no, it wasn't. He didn't. He didn't do it because some minister told him he should do it, or a rabbi. He did it because he was inspired to do it. The idea came to yeah. him, and he went and did it, and it was for his spiritual life. So that was his religion. Yeah, I love that idea that the world, and it's, it's such a simple but very profound idea that everything around you can be a sacred place. It could be my Every, basement, right? I mean, for it, it doesn't be. have to be the river. It just has to be a quiet place of contemplation. Even if I'm sitting in my dark basement, but I'm actually going on the inside and going into the depths of my soul, yes. who cares? It's a sacred right. place. I'm giving it energy every time I go and sit in, near the river in my dark basement, exactly. you know, upstairs in my altar, my meditation altar. It's that same, it's the ritual of doing it on a regular basis and you're building That's the energy of that place and you're building your soul, I think. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is part yes, of I, don't, I, don't, I don't recommend nature in a highly romanticized way. It's not right. the only way and people living in the city have yeah. every opportunity yeah but but uh but i just say that because i think it's again what's one of the easiest ways because yeah. nature is is a very good conduit of of infinity and the eternal and the transcendent it's just so easy right there yeah. your basement might take a little work you know to really, <laughs> i mean to, to think it through or to get to the point where you can really sense it that way although it yeah. very well could be yeah yeah well, you haven't been in my basement yet, so. You know. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I can see that, that I think it's just about adding, if you think about, that's a ritual in and of itself. Every Sunday I can go to the river and sit. And every Sunday, and it's not necessarily, what I, what I like about that ritual is you're completely emptying everything and just being with what is. It's a ritual of presence. That's right. It's a ritual of presence. And then what happens, another step is that, let's say you go to this river, 
uh, three or four weeks in a row and you think, wow, this is really great. I'm really feeling something I never felt before and I'm kind of losing myself in this and it's a wonderful, I would call it a mystical experience. Really, really a mystical experience. And then one day you see that you notice that there's a lot of sludge going down the river from a factory upstream. Then suddenly your ethics come into play. Because, because this river means something to you, you don't want to see it polluted. So you develop a sense of ethics from your religious practice, rather than someone telling you this is what uh, you should Interesting, yes. Yeah. So in your book you talk about you know, the structures and the rituals and those kind of things as being part of a religion, but you're also talking about the ethics. So yes. those, will, those will kind of naturally arise if you are... Right. You don't have to have someone at a sermon saying, like, here no. are the things you need to focus upon today. It will just oh. naturally arise. That's right. They come out of you. They come out of you and it comes out of your heart because you, you feel connected and attached. And that's real, real moral life. That's morality. The other thing I would call this, someone telling you this is what you should do, I call that moralism. That's different. Yeah. Moralism and morality are two very, they're opposites, really. They're opposites. So, okay, define them for me. Well, morality is what I was saying. So you really discover the, the wonderful value, deep value of this river in your town. I'm using the image of a river because when I travel, I see that a great many cities in America, of course, around the world, have rivers in them. And some, in some places you go, and they're really places, they're beautiful places that you can go and sit at. Some of them are industrial conduits of some kind. You know, you don't know what's going on there. They're, they're destroyed. So um, I think that as you develop your, uh, your sense of ethics, then that, that's what I would call morality coming from your heart. Moralism is this feeling of guilt that someone told me I should do this and I should do that. What's wrong with me that I don't believe, uh, I'm not doing what I should do. That's all in that realm of moralism. And I don't think it's very deep. Mm -hmm. I don't think it goes very far. And it, it, it's not effective because look at our world. It's full of unethical behavior. Right. Even by people who go to church. and right. who believe that The moralistic people don't seem to make a connection between their moral you know, their moralistic list of things, the do's and don'ts, and actual living and behavior. Yeah. But if you have it in your heart, you will act on what you've got there. Yeah, so if you have ethics, which you get through your own heartfelt experience of looking, you know, it's funny because I was just thinking about the last time I looked at the river, I was at the Yangtze River when we were in China, and it's this place called Tiger Leaping Gorge, which is this, it's the narrowest part of the Yangtze River and the very top of it where it comes off the Himalayas. So the water is really, like, really strong and powerful, and it's coming down. And I'm looking, and you see the magnificence of this powerful, deep river. And it's profound. And as I'm watching it on the sides um, in the little ebbs and flows are garbage, iPhones, uh, Coke bottles, I mean, every uh -huh. sort of nonsense that I would never expect in a river, but it just, it kind of just read, it just hits your heart like, oh my gosh, why is this happening? This is, this is just a disrespect of nature. And uh, this powerful thing and this beautiful, powerful thing is being disrespected here because people are just throwing their garbage right into the Yangtze. I mean, it's just, it's sad. But I understand, I, that's what I'm getting, is that that so, sense of outrage or love or whatever it is that came out of me, that may be my ethics. So you could say that, you could say, I think, that 
if you do what I suggested, so you go down to the river that's in your town. Yeah. And you sit there and just sit there quietly and you do it a few times, not once, but a few times. And you really take it in and you'll notice a change in yourself, I think, unless you're, you're really closed off to it. You yeah. notice a change in yourself. And I think what you do is you discover then why some people in the world call those rivers sacred. Sacred means they are of value that it's almost unimaginable, that, you, that it's, not, it's not sacred. It's not valuable because we can put ships and send goods down the river. Right. It's valuable in itself. There's something in itself that so, has such deep value in beauty, and it's all, that beauty and value are all wrapped together. Yeah. And that makes it sacred in some sense. Yeah, yeah, so it's to see. So I think you're bringing another point that you bring up in your book is to be able to see the sacredness and beauty in everything, whether it be the river or my coffee cup, right? I mean, that's right. <laughs> right? So, what do you think? So, ethics are part of it. Um, the, uh, and there's so many different parts. You actually have big, yes. big sections in your book about clearing your emotions out and then also seeing the beauty in every day, you know, whether it's art or music. And, and then you talk yes. about this like merging of sacred, um, secular and spiritual. Do you think those are the, the big three components of um, – and then intuition, I think, is another one, which is like how you navigate yeah. your so religion. Yeah, so inner guidance. I think when you develop your own religious – person person in your own religious way that intuition then suddenly becomes really an interesting part of it and if you were to study the world's religions as a model you'd find that most of the religions teach ways to be more intuitive rather than rationalistic in everything we do so that's also part see what i do is i think to myself well that sounds like maybe part of my religion to be more intuitive and have an inner guidance and then i can maybe i realize oh yes the this is in, in all these traditions that are around there. And that kind of confirms to me that I'm in that realm of the religious. Hmm. You know, Interesting, it's yes. Necessary, well, but it helps. Well, it seems like a lot of the old religions, like the ruins that you talk about in your book, the Tao Te Ching has the I Ching, tarot cards. I don't even know what religion that's related to. Is that related to a particular religion? Well, only Paganism? What? Uh, yeah, maybe paganism. <laughs> okay. But what are some of the, like in Catholicism, what are the divination tools that people use for their own intuition to tap Well, that? people pray. You know, people, for example, uh, people pray for things. And they, uh, the, I know my, you know, when I grew up, and my mother especially, my mother prayed the rosary uh, every single night. Um, Late at night, she'd be up after everyone else praying her rosary, thinking about, what she, what people needed, her people close to her needed. So there was that kind of a, a connection with the world that wasn't so practical. Right. And that, but it was a technology in Catholicism, the rosary, these beads that she counted on her huh. fingers. So that's that's an example of how in a religion like that you might have some practice that's very simple, but it's an internal experience and it's being in the world and. And, and in a way, in a way, a kind of a way of knowing, and a way of affecting events by, by the way you are, and from your internal experience. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I talk to everyone and everybody in the show, and so I talk to people sure. who are mediums, who do tarot card readings, who've created their own form of readings. I mean, I've talked to everyone. I'm sure. And and I've I've always tried to figure out. I'm I know that this. These, you know, divination tools are part of spirituality, but I could never really figure out 
how to describe where it fits in the structural part of it. But your book really was beautiful in describing it and that I and I hope I do this justice, but it's about tapping into the mystery. Yes, the exactly. The mystery and the magic. Exactly. And I guess the question is is you know, I've talked to a friend of mine who's Catholic, and she does tarot cards, and she said, people look at me and think I'm a devil worshiper. In fact, they, and I actually did a, I did a show on someone about astral projection, and someone said, I, I, I worry for your soul because you'll go to hell for teaching people this. And I thought, wow, you know, what's that all about? Yeah. What is that all about, do you think? I don't even know how to interpret that. You know, I think what happens in each religion some people can experience, I'm talking about formal religions now, right. the established religions, when people become members of them, a lot of times all they know is what they learned as children. You know, they don't, they learn from their parents and maybe in grade school, but they don't get much more. Yeah. They don't get much of an education, so they have a very, very simple level of, of, uh, of understanding. And, uh, and that tends to kind of make it a, a small space to live in. And, uh, and so people begin to think that anything outside of that is bad or mm. devilish or, you know, and devil, devilish is kind of a word, devil and Satan, yeah. all that, you know, becomes part of this dark world that's around what, what you believe and what you are attached to. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying that uh, another advantage of drawing on the richness of the many traditions is that it get, you get over that paranoia and that competition among the traditions. And and so you don't have that same attitude that, well, this must be really terrible to do tarot cards. It's <laughs> just the opposite. You think, oh, this is great because I recognize some of those images. Okay, we're, people were going crazy. All of a sudden, that, that sparked lots of questions. So here they come. Okay, you ready? The people who are listening have the following questions. Um, okay. Is it just a belief that any of these things are bad? So I think it's, is there, is it just a belief that any, okay, so is it a belief that, some people actually believe that tarot cards and things like that are bad. Right. Um, well, I can tell you part of it is, I can give you part of an answer to it. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of, a, of an academic's answer. Sure, but okay. I'll, anyway. But uh, uh, a long time, very early in the development of, of Christianity, um, they decided that they were going to define Christianity as against paganism, against the Greek, the Greek gods, you know, the many gods of the Greeks and Romans. Yes. And uh, so there has been for 2,000 years a feeling that anything pagan is bad. It's like, that's uh. not us, that must be bad. Now, people over throughout history, there have been many Christians, Christian theologians and wonderful people who have tried to get rid of that that barrier between the pagans and the Christians, but it's very difficult to do. That lingers today. I mean, people probably don't have that same way of expressing it. But today they worry, of these, like tarot cards are really pagan. That's true. Right. We think of pagan, I mean, some Christians would think pagan means devilish, horrible. Right, right. But, but that's because of our history where we've been ah, I see, got it. Okay, and, so then it's not bad. So the other questions, it's not bad to do any of these um, can one for taking a lot of these forms and make it their own? So, I guess I, I guess the question. So I'm hearing it's not bad. So one of the questions is: this bad to do some of these things? The question, the answer is: it's just a different form that was. Well, a lot of people have been taught to believe that there's only you can only do one religion. You know, this is it. And if you, every other religion is wrong. I mean, when I was a kid in the Catholic school, I, there were two kinds of people in the world: Catholics and non-Catholics. <laughs> That's all. 
I used to say that regularly all the time. Right. So uh, if you want to live in that kind of a world, I don't think the modern world's like that. We know too much now. We're smarter than that, you know, in a, in a good sense, in a very right. good sense. Just as we've become smarter about a lot of social issues, we're more open. We're not as racist and sexist as we used to be. Um, but uh, the same would hold true with religion. I think we have to have that openness to the many religions. And once you open to the pagan world, if you can open your mind to it, you realize how wonderfully uh, spiritual and uh, sincere and uh, uh, how close that religion actually is to us. If, if, you, if you just go to the rituals and to the experience of the religion instead of trying to intellectually debate whether religion should be monotheistic right. or polytheistic. Right. I mean, those, those intellectual debates are, are a distraction. Right. And you know that through personal experience, because you yourself have learned all these academic things and, and then also at the same time have experienced the benefit of terrific. Yes. You even you mm -hmm. even decided to move to New Hampshire based on a I Ching reading from what I've I did, done I here. Did, yes. I did. <laughs> okay, so it can work. So the question was, can these things work together? They absolutely can work together. Because I, I think basically what I got from your, your chapter in that little section is that because there's, this, there's a divine presence that you yourself can tap into, and these are the tools to necessarily do that, where reading a Bible necessarily will allow you to get one way, but this is just another way. So I just think of them as working together. Um, well, you know, when you say that, I'm reminded of another little piece about that, is that uh, a lot of people could benefit from deepening their knowledge of their own religious tradition, you know, their own. Because so many people, I think especially those who are fearful about going out into any other one, probably don't know their own tradition very well. or They might be insecure about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something that you can get more security in your own tradition by getting to know more about it, learning more, mm -hmm. and discover that religion, the things you've been taught, you're not a child anymore. You know, as an adult, you have to think as an adult about these things. And many things that were, as a child, you thought were just facts are really, are really poetry. They're, they're images that you have to interpret in a very deep way that is not as literal as you thought when you were a child. Yeah, I like the idea of going to the... Uh river or having a, a meditation on something that you've read as a child and now as an adult with open eyes just really going to a different place a higher level place and kind of thinking about that that's i guess it's i'm taking two ideas that you had about daddy jing okay the questions are going berserk here let's see um <laughs> uh, a lot of posts about paganism is it bad to be a pagan um should we let others influence us if they don't see it our way should we accept others' beliefs if they don't match ours? Um, how do we break from the control of religion? Wow, so many questions, I think. That one question just busted up a whole bunch of other questions. Uh -huh. Well, uh, uh, the question that, and it's an interesting one, should I, how, how should I feel about someone else's religion? That's really an interesting one. Uh, recently, my, I told you my wife is Sikh, mm -hmm. and I'm, yeah, I have my own religion. <laughs> I'm a deep Catholic, but my own my own way. And uh, so she and I spoke at a yoga center uh, just about two months ago. And we sat in front of this big crowd, and we just talked about what it was like for her to be a Sikh and for me to be 
doing my going my own direction, certainly not the direction she's going. I don't practice yoga, and she does, you know, very seriously. And what was that like? I mean, being in two different places. And we what we talked about was, you know, just respecting another person's own life, how it unfolds, and who they are, their own nature. It's very mysterious. And that deep respect, I think, for another person could allow you to to really become interested in someone's religious position instead of saying standing back and saying who's right and who's got the truth i never use the word truth you know it's not, never in my books i think it's it gets us into trouble right. so i don't think that's the right question to ask what's true the question to ask is from your respect to really respect a person and and, and be curious and say well how does that work for you and, and uh where does that come from and how does it affect your life and that kind of thing so that you you are not going to be so quick to make judgments right right and that's how you actually that's answering the question of how do we how do we accept others beliefs if they don't yes. match ours is to and I, I go back to your original piece of advice. Go to the Tao Te Ching and just open yourself up into believing lots, knowing that it's a dualistic universe, that you're right and you're wrong. There is no truth. It's a subjective thing, right? Um, okay, are you supposed to take what they say? Um, uh, we can't really live our lives like they say in the Bible. I guess that's just a comment. <laughs> well, you know, you can't really, totally, literally. Again, literally you can't because... The Bible is a it's like a library. It's a collection of a whole lot of books written over a long period of time, and they're different. And there are there are contradictions. and And it was written at a time when the and a place where things are very different from our contemporary world. Yeah. So you can't literally live the Bible. There's right. no way that you, you you couldn't possibly do it. Right. So the, the the only thing you can do is take the spiritual message of the Bible. Take the spiritual message of it. That's the whole point. This yeah. is not about facts. And and that means go deep. I, I'm interested in spiritual depth, not just spiritual facts again. You know, right. it's depth. So you could read any book of the Bible and read it as a story about being spiritual today. And you could really get a great deal from it. If you read it to say, how should I behave today? Does the Bible say I should do this or do that? That's like a child's reading. You know, it's it's childish. It's right. it's not an adult reading a piece of literature uh, that has levels of meaning and you have to use your intelligence for it. You can't just sit back and, and be passive and stupid about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take those things literally. Go deep and figure out what they mean and from your heart. Yes. Take the Bible as a spiritual document, as yeah. a spiritual collection of books, not as facts of how things are out there in the you know. That's not what it's about. Okay, this has been fascinating. So we had Thomas Moore talking about his book, A Religion of One's Own, which, of course, you can get on Kindle like I have. It's a guide to creating a personal spirituality in a secular world. Thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you and blessings. I know that you're sitting there in the dark as all the electricity <laughs> has gone off in your house and your generator, <laughs> thankfully, is keeping this interview afloat. So thank you and um, blessings to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, CJ. It means so much to me that you're listening to the show. I would love your support in any way by giving me comments below or to subscribe to the show or share the show with friends. Thank you again for your support. Love and blessings.